you know, I think about him every moment of every day. Mm. And he didn't deserve that. He didn't he didn't deserve um depression. He was such a good person and and I feel so bad for him. I really do. I thought if I can just talk one person, yeah, if I can reach yeah. just that one person, yeah, yeah, then yeah. then uh, it won't bring Travis back, but at least I've done some good somewhere, mm-hmm. somehow, whether I know it mm-hmm. or not. Welcome to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paola Fontanelli. Since her father's suicide in 2005, Paola has dedicated her life to breaking the silence around this most stigmatized of subjects. Her book, Understanding Suicide, Living with Loss, Paths to Prevention, was nominated for the National Book Award in Brazil, and the English edition is now available on Amazon. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for being here with me today, actually with us, because there's always a guest with me. Thank you for being here on the podcast, on my YouTube channel. Today, I have a colleague, because uh, still, I still see myself as a journalist. She's a journalist. Her name is Laurie Pritchard. She's an Emmy Award winning journalist. She's the anchor of the morning show at KSL TV, which is an NBC affiliate TV station in South Lake City. But that's not why she's here. She's here because she lost her husband to suicide very recently. And I actually found Lori when I watched her TED talk. It's called What I Learned from My Husband's Suicide. And Lori, thank you so much for saying yes and for taking some time. I know you're so busy. I know, I know the life of a TV journalist, what it looks like. So thank you so much for being here with us. Happy, happy to do her. To, yeah. To be here. yeah. Well, I want to start with what I learned from my husband's suicide. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I thought uh, when I watched your TED talk was, this is so fresh. Yeah. How it was what a month after he no, died that you did it was it had been just a year. It a had been year. a year. Okay, mm-hmm. a year after he died, but still very fresh. Mm-hmm. And and I could tell that it was such a hard thing for you to do. Mm-hmm. First of all, what made you decide to do the TED talk? Um actually I was asked to do it. Um there was a communications professor who was on the board of uh the the TED talk, well, TEDx. Mm-hmm. And he reached out to me and asked me if, if maybe it was something that I would consider. Um, but there's also an application process involved in that as well, because he had to take it to the rest of the committee to decide whether or not I would be a candidate for that. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about it for a little bit and I kind of had to sketch out what I was going to say. And then I went ahead and put my application together and sent it in, not really thinking about um, the consequences of talking about it so publicly um, Uh so soon after he had died, because um, that was the hardest thing I've ever done professionally Mm -hmm. doing that TED talk. And there are moments I I, I can't watch it. I haven't seen it. No. 
But as I was living through it, there were moments where I literally thought I was going to pass out. I mean, I thought I was going to pass out. Um, My knees were shaking. I was so overwhelmed, I think, Mm -hmm. with the emotion of his death. I'm not sure it was the best time for me to Mm -hmm. have done that, but I did it and it's done and it's out there. Yes, and I have to say it's it I could tell that you were at moments you had to do some breathing and stop and it was I think from I've seen a lot of TED talks and and some of them on loss and grief and because that's the area that I love to work with but I think yours was the one that I saw more emotion and I could tell that wow I don't know how she's doing this I mean mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. so hard mm-hmm. Um, some of the feedback I got somewhat, you know, people write comments on YouTube and someone, you know, there were a few people said, oh, that looks so rehearsed. And I will tell you what, well, I memorized every word of that speech because there is no other way I would have gotten through it. So if it looked rehearsed in terms of the way I delivered it, it was because I wouldn't have gotten through it in any other way. There was no other, I had to have it committed to memory or I would have stopped in the middle because it was just, it was so difficult to get through. Yeah. So that's when the journalist, you know, having those skills helped, huh? Right. What was the impact of your, of your um, TED talk? Because I've talked to people here who had TED talks before, and some of them said that it took them months because they actually, I don't know if they did the same with you, but they asked you permission, kind of permission, can we publish when it's Mm -hmm. something that personal? And Mm -hmm. with, with one of my um, guests, I remember he said, he he kept asking them, no, please don't, please don't, please don't. And then one day he just said, you know what? Yeah, just publish. Did that happen to you? And what was the impact that it had? Well, so my thought initially in doing that, my rationalization for it was I need to make sure, like, I didn't get a chance to talk to my husband out of suicide, Mm. you know? And so I thought if I can just talk one person, yeah, if I can reach yeah. just that one person, yeah, yeah, then yeah. then uh, it won't bring Travis back, but at least I've done some good somewhere, mm-hmm. somehow, whether I know it mm-hmm. or not. Yeah. And and so I was like, publish it. Yeah, uh, fine. Um, and didn't really think much about it until it must have hit an algorithm somewhere about five months after it was posted on mm-hmm. on YouTube. And it's, it's, it's also on Ted's website too. Mm-hmm. And a, somewhere some, and all of a sudden it's like the floodgates opened and people started emailing me and messaging me. And even uh, yesterday I got an email from a gentleman in Canada. And uh, so, and I've gotten uh, messages from people on every continent, save Antarctica. And it's, it's hard because some people who message me, I can tell are in real crisis and I am not, I'm not an expert. Yeah. And that's, that's the most difficult part is because they need help then like right then. And I don't have the tools. I can, I can point you in the right direction, but I don't have the tools to talk. I mean, I, I I couldn't talk my husband out of it. Mm-hmm. How how can I talk history? I don't know. I, I I don't have the answers, and so I try my best. and And um, I answer everyone. 
Um, it may take me a while, but the ones that are in crisis, I, I answer as soon as I see them. And sometimes I'll hear back from, from those people. And sometimes I don't. Yeah. And it really worries me. Yes. Yes. It, I, that really weighs on me. I understand because I, I get this kind of, because of mm -hmm. the work I do, I get right. them all the time. And even though I am a professional, I do have the skills, but it's not even ethical for me to do that online with someone I've never met. And so it's really tough. Sometimes I go, wow, how do I respond to this? Right. right. Because yeah. it's, it's about sending them to resources. Right. right. Yeah. And sometimes I don't know, I don't even know where they are and mm -hmm. it's really tough, but yeah, like you, I, I, I reply all of them, but what about the, the replies that you got from people who were grieving and had lost someone? Cause there are two, it's like my, my, my podcast, right. Two mm -hmm. kind of audiences, right? right. One are the people in crisis, but also those who lost someone, a loved mm -hmm. one to suicide. So how is, how is the response from the, from the, um, you know, I, I, I think we, everyone says this and I'm going to say it and it's, it's almost a cliche, but this is a club that no one wants to, to join. Um, but once you're in it, you have profound love for the people who are, are walking the journey with you. And so um, I, to be honest, um, the messages I get from the people who have been through similar um, situations they send me so much support and love. I mean, I feel like I'm support supported by people I don't even know. Mm -hmm. So we talk all the time about um, online and how it's not real and, you know, and how people are so cruel to one another. But that's the complete opposite for me is that I feel that genuine love and friendship from people that I don't even know. Mm -hmm. And that has helped. It helps. I, I really try to learn from mm -hmm. some of those people. Yes, yes. And I think it is a different, because as you said, I mean, they know what you're going through. Mm -hmm. if, even if it's, I mean, if, you, if you've lost someone to right. suicide, you know, you know what it feels like. Right. And you know, you know, all these rumination and questions and all the phases you go through. So... Laurie, let's talk about your husband. Let's talk about mm -hmm. Travis. I think it's important to do that because many, many times, and that happens with any kind of grief, we believe that, okay, the person died. The best thing to do is just forget about it, put them in a drawer, close that drawer. And I think it's so important to remember, mm -hmm. especially with suicide, because unfortunately, what happens when someone dies that way is that the that's what they're remembered for. And that's so unfair. Yeah. So tell me about him. How was, what was his um, life he like? He honestly, truly was the kindest person that I have ever met. You, sometimes you meet those people in the world and you think, are they really that good? Are they really <laughs> that good of a person? And he truly was the kind, had the, had the softest heart that's the thing that I think I missed. I miss most in my life is the kindness that mm. surrounded me. And he was an athlete. He was a star athlete uh, mm. growing up. Um, he played football. Um, he played football in college until he was injured. My son said last night we were talking about him and he's like, why did daddy always know the answers to everything? <laughs> <laughs> and it made me laugh because he, he read a lot. He spent a lot of time um, learning about different things, whatever it was. And so 
<laughs> my son said, you know, when I asked him a question, he always knew the answer. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's pretty much how, what he was like. And he was just curious about the world and, but more than anything, the kindness, and he would have given you anything, whether it was a stranger or a friend, he would have bent over backwards for you because that's just the kind of person that he was It just, and in some ways I, f- I feel like he felt the weight of the world on him as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes the, those kinds of people, the sadness weighs on them maybe a little bit more than others. I'm not sure he was able to manage the disappointments that sometimes life brings. And I, I think maybe that was the beginning for him mm-hmm. of his mm-hmm. depression. Yeah. And when you, I, I remember seeing you talk about his depression, which was something that you had no idea he had. Mm-mm. And for, I'm sure that for so many people watching, they'll go, how can you not notice? Right. Yeah. It, and it's natural. There's not a criticism because it's yeah. hard to believe that right. you wouldn't notice. Right. right. I remember uh, I talked to Andrew Solomon. I don't know if you read his book uh, on depression, Noonday, Noonday Demon, the Noonday Demon great book on depression and he he often he does a lot of he's a speaker and he was telling me one day that he was talking about his depression and this couple after afterwards they had a break and this man came to him and said you know it's so hard for me I have depression I've been married to my wife for 20 years and I just cannot tell her mm-hmm. and he yeah. talked to him and then went away finished the finished the talk and then afterwards when it was finished, this woman comes to him, to him, says the absolute same thing. You know, how can you give me, I don't know, how can I talk to my partner? Because it's mm-hmm. hard for me to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he says that he talked to her and then she left. And the same guy who had talked to him halfway through joined her. That was a couple. Both <sighs> of them had depression. Neither one knew. Wow. It's just uh, when I remember until today right. when he told the story. So what? Right. So it, it happens. It happens. So now that you look back, do you see signs? Is it easier? Because yeah. it's always easier. It's the same with suicide in retrospect, right? right? But what was what happened afterwards when you when so you found out? I think it it his depression manifested itself in a different way. So. We were married almost 15 years, two months shy of our 15 year anniversary. And so I remember when I was pregnant with our son, he, at the time he was really depressed. So I knew he had bouts of depression. It was always linked though, to his job at the time. He was not happy with his job under Mm -hmm. any circumstances. His, his boss was not nice to him. It just was a bad situation. And he was really depressed, but it was cause and effect. Didn't like his job. And he was depressed. Then he he got a new job. He was fine. He was fine. Yeah. Fine. Um, for a good, so I would say seven years, everything was good. And then he started slowly. It was the same kind of thing, just not feeling kind of good about his life or where he was headed, the direction it was going. And he was always an overachiever. He wanted the next, he was a physical therapist, wanted the next certification, wanted to take this test so he could have do this and always busy doing something. And he just started beginning to feel like he was maybe spinning his wheels in the job he was in. And again, cause and effect. 
he wasn't happy with his job and the depression. So um, the week he died, he had started a new job and didn't, he had left this job, the, the, his previous job he'd been at for 10 years and just started this new job. And it just, I think, sent him in a tailspin because it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. He was having such a hard time. And he'd even told his mom at one point the week he died, I don't think I can do this talking about his job, you know, and, and his mom said to him, Travis, you can give it a week and then you can panic, you know, again, not thinking he's going to kill himself, just thinking, you know, we can, we'll figure out, you can find another job. It was always linked to something that had to do with his professional career. And so I never, it never occurred to me that maybe this really was systemic depression that was manifesting itself through his profession. Mm-hmm. It was really something deeper than that. Did he ever go to see a professional? No. Um, he did in 2017, but he never stayed long, maybe four or five sessions. And he never, ever told me about it. In fact, I tried to get his health records from my insurance company so I could see who he went to. Um, and I will tell you the Friday before he died, he had an appointment with a psychiatrist. I went to a hair appointment that morning and I said, text me the address. I'll meet you there. Got nothing. I texted him later. I said, Hey, send me the address and I'll meet you there. And then um, he's like, no, I'll be fine. I'll just go on my own. And that's what I always got. It was always, Oh, it's fine. I'm fine. Mm. You know, I'll take care of it. You don't have to worry. And I'm like, text literally. I said, text me the damn address so I can go. And about 15 minutes later, I get a text message that said, this phone is no longer accepting text messages. And later on that evening, he just laughed. He thought that was the funniest thing. He's like, did you get my message that my phone? <laughs> he thought that was so funny that, I mean, had I gone to that appointment with him, I could have said he's yeah. having a hard time with his job. I mean, you know, it's just, it's like, he wouldn't let me in. Hmm. He wouldn't let me in. Yeah. yeah. You can't, you can't. You can't, yeah, that's, that's when your ability to help stops, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, and I think that that is, it was for me, it, again, I thought it was cause and effect. I didn't realize it was, it ran so much deeper than what I knew. And I only know that now because he left those journals. Um, mm, yeah, and I was, so you able- talk about, you talk about the journals on your TED right. talk that you found afterwards, right? Yeah. I found him in his backpack. He'd been carrying them around and there was no reason for me ever to look through his things. Of I, course, there was yeah. no reason. So um, when I found them and read them, it was really eye-opening because it, his depression was a lot deeper and it had some to do with his job, but it wasn't everything. I mean, he was really true. questioning him as a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind if I read uh, something he wrote? It's no, something go, you already shared, okay. He, one of the things he wrote on his journal was, I have to choose to let my pain consume me or find strength in the pain and find purpose in my life. Yeah. So he was struggling. Right. Yeah. He was trying to find purpose, right? He right. was trying to find a way out, but it seems like couldn't. Do you have a friend or a loved one who struggles with suicidal thoughts, ideation, or even previous attempts? If you do, I have some information for you. 
I know that the situation is scary. And many times we want to do the best we can to help, but we don't know how. Over the course of my 15 years working in this field, I have learned how to address these issues and that's what I want to share with you. And for that, I have just created an online course that will guide you step by step on how to sit down and have this difficult conversation. The course is called How to Help Suicidal People. And I purposely took a very straightforward approach so that when you finish, you will feel prepared to take action in a safe, non-judgmental and compassionate way. You will learn about the mental state of a suicidal person, how it impacts the way they view their personal crisis, how to bring hope into the conversation, how to prepare yourself to listen to them, especially when they talk about their emotional pain, how to create a safety plan, how to assess their risk level, and much, much more. The course comes in six modules and it's all videos with very simple language and reading materials for quick reference. If you think that this course is for you, click on the link on my notes or go to my website understandsuicide.com and click on the course tab. There you can also watch a free sample and have more information about the course. Thank you. There, there was one entry. So this was in 2017. My son and I had gone to San Francisco for the day. And uh, there's an entry in the journal that he's right. He can hear our daughter downstairs and she must've been watching TV because she was laughing. And, and he said, I can hear her laughing. Her laughter is keeping me going. And, and, and the way he was writing that, I don't know if had I taken her that day, we might have come home to him mm. having yeah. killed himself because he was really struggling and using his daughter's laughter as a, as a reminder. I, I, I got to stay alive. I need to stay yes. alive. I mean, it was yes. just the, the, the torture, the self torture that he was um, putting himself through it. It's, it, it was, it was painful to read. Yeah. And I remember he used the, I think he used the expression, the bully in my mind or something like that. The bully in his brain. He called it a, a, a bully in his brain, but that's not something he ever told me. It was something he, he talked to his mom. You know, he used to say to his mom, mom, I have a bully in my brain, but I didn't. I didn't Lori, how, how was the aftermath of suicide? Because this is a very different experience for mm-hmm. those who go through it. Some, they, they meet rejection, they meet blaming others. They have a lot of support. And you being a public figure in your town, how was that for you? Um, you know, it, it's, it's funny because it, it never dawned on me um, or occurred to me to blame any, anyone and it, and I guess because I am a journalist and I, I ask people to share really intimate details of their life with me, that I felt like this is something that I can share with people that I, 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 I felt like it was disingenuous of me to say, well, I can't, I'm going to hide this because I'm ashamed when in reality, I ask people all the time to share things with me. So it was, it was like, I, I, I'm going to talk about this. Um, 
for a good year, I lived in a bubble. I lived in a real bubble where, where I work was a safe place mm-hmm. and then home was a safe place. And I didn't really venture out much mm-hmm. because it just, the world was, it's not that it was frightening or scary. It's just, it was overwhelming. It was yes. too much. Um, and so I only moved in my safe spaces for a while until I got my feet underneath me, but it has taken, I mean, it's been two and a half years and it is still, it is like walking through hell mm. still. Yeah, yeah. What are the emotions for you? What comes up? What, what is like the roller coaster of emotions um, like for you? It's, you know, I think about him every moment of every day. Mm. And, um, I'm just, you know, he didn't deserve that. He didn't, he didn't deserve, um, depression. He was Mm. such a good person. And, and I feel so bad for him. I really do. That is how his life turned out because I know how much he loved our children. I love them so much and to leave them. I just, I can't imagine how much pain he would have been in. And so that's, that's over, that's really overwhelming. I, I feel very, very sad and it takes a lot sometimes to get over that. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you ever feel angry at him? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I do feel, uh, yes. I, I feel angry. I, I feel angry because I wasn't let in to this. Um, I talked to a widow gosh, a few months ago, and she had really been in on the journey with her husband. And so when he killed himself, it, it wasn't a foregone conclusion, but she, and she was yes, devastated and all of those things, but it almost knew at some point it was going to happen because he was struggling so much. Mm -hmm. I feel betrayed sometimes because here's this person that I loved more than anything. And, and we had so, I had so much to lose and he didn't let me in. And so, yeah, that that's where I get angry is that he could have just told me, he could have shared that side of him with me and I would have loved him, but I would have made sure he would have gotten help. Yeah. What about your kids? How are they doing? I saw a very recent post mm-hmm. on your Facebook. You were talking about uh, your son and how he's dealing with his sister's mm-hmm. way of grieving. Because right. that's the thing with grief, right? It is different for everyone. And, and there is judgment because you look at someone and say, how can they be okay? I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. So what is going on and how have they been dealing with um, it? We've been through a lot of therapy. And... I think it will be lifelong for them. And, and I, I want, I'm very adamant when I say to them that this isn't, this isn't how your life will turn out. This isn't going to happen to you. And I explained to them that, you know, their dad didn't have the courage to get help when he needed it. And I think, I think there's a point of no return where some point early on in the depression, you have the ability, the cognitive ability to say, okay, I need to address this. I think you get to a point though, where it's too late. Where you become, you you become the depression, right? That's all you have. 
Right, exactly. And so I'm very um, clear to them that there is nothing wrong with therapy. There is nothing wrong with asking for help. Sometimes my son will be like, well, I don't, I don't need help. I'm fine. And I have to say to him, there's nothing wrong with asking for help ever. So, you know, we're not going to take that kind of attitude towards therapy. Um, my, I've to- been told by four different therapists, though, you can't force your kids. If they don't want to go, you can't make them. Mm-hmm. So all I've been trying to do uh, is say, you know, this is helpful. This may be something that you need later on in life. And it's not something your dad sought help for. Yeah. And, and, and also in keep the dialogue open because yeah, absolutely. Very important that they feel that they can talk to you about it. Right. And it's not you know, stigmatized. Right. Topic. And my, my daughter said to me one day, she's like, why do you keep asking me if I'm going to kill myself? I mean, she's just was like exasperated, you know, it wasn't. It, and I'm like, because that's my job because I never asked your father. I'm going to ask you. I'm, I'm going to ask and I'm going to keep asking and, and, and I'm not going to be afraid to talk about it. So. Yeah. Has it changed <laughs> the family dynamics in any way? Oh yeah. It's um, so actually that's the best part of COVID. Um, COVID was a blessing in that the world stopped about seven months after he died. Um, it was immediately after he died. It, it was almost frightening. Um, the weekend would come and there would be three of us. And it was like, what are we going to do? I mean, there was such a a hole in our lives. He was missing from that family dynamic that you could feel it. And it scared me. But when COVID came, we were all three together all the time. And it kind of built that normalcy that it is three of us, that we are a family. Yeah. In a way I accelerated, right. The process. It did. It really did. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so in some ways I'm grateful for that, that now it is the three of us and it is okay that it's just, I mean, I, I wish it were four, you know, but it's three and, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You're talking about therapy and how you you're protecting your kids. How are how are you protecting you and taking care of yourself? So, I haven't been to therapy in a while because the therapist whom I love and she's wonderful really believes I need to go through trauma therapy, and I probably do, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure I'm ready to go down that road because I. I think that I, I will need to take a leave of absence from work. I mean, I really think I'm going to walk through a deep, deep hole and I'm not sure I'm ready for my life to stop like that right now. So I haven't been to therapy in a while, but it was, it, 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 it was extremely helpful. It was, but other than that, I mean, I, I take the thing that I do every day, every single day is I walk, I go for a walk. I did it this morning, the sun's shining and I, I say this all the time and it sounds funny, but I actively listen to the birds and that's sends a message to me that there's hope, mm-hmm. you know, that there's more to life of the, in the natural world, other than the problems that I'm having in my own head. That helps me a lot. Yeah. And yeah. just having the sun on my face, those small things help tremendously. 
Yeah. What what else has helped you in terms of relationships, for example? Um, my friends, uh, you know, it's when Travis was alive, you, you have your little your little safety pod of a family and you know, you you have your friends, but you don't need a lot of help and now I need help for all kinds of things. I my family um lives 1200 miles away. So I have no family nearby. Um, and Travis's family lives 1200 miles. I mean, there's no one, no one that I'm related to. Mm-hmm. And I've had to depend on my friends and I'm grateful for that. I think that when people talk about a community, I have a community of people who support me. And I didn't really recognize that before. Now mm-hmm. I understand that. Well, you didn't need it either, right? No, I didn't. Yeah. No, yeah. we only know who we have around us to support us when we need it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lori, uh, just to finish, I would like for you to. I remember at the end of your TED talk, the main message of your TED talk is don't let your loved one talk you out of being worried. Mm-hmm. So, what would you say to families who have NI, for example? adolescents teenagers i worry so much about i have quite a few teenagers as as patients because it is the number that grows the most we are very worried about you know the social media impact all of that and also i i hear sometimes from parents saying no it's just you know it's a teenage thing mm-hmm. don't it's, it's okay they'll, they'll grow out of it or either that or they just want attention Mm-hmm. And it worries me so much. So what would you say to those families who have someone who's, who's struggling? They know they're struggling. They don't know what to do. You know, the day Travis died, I remember sitting at work and I was trying to call him and repeatedly, and he wasn't answering his phone. And I was sitting in our makeup room and I was looking at myself in the mirror. And I l- said out loud, you're just being dramatic. You're just being dramatic. Mm. I would take the thought and the threat of suicide seriously. And I would urge anyone to talk, to talk about it and, and, and be honest and ask that question. Are you thinking of hurting yourself? I, I that's a very simple question. I think particularly needs to be answered by people who are struggling. Um, because if you open that door of conversation, you're allowing them to walk through it. And had I, had I been able to say to him, are you thinking of hurting yourself? If he would have said yes, in that moment, then I could have gotten him help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not someone who's already thinking of suicide. You're not giving them, you're not giving them the thought of it. And I think that that's changed because we used to not talk about it. Mm-hmm. And now people are talking about it more, but I think if you have, I mean, like I said, I ask my, my teenagers all the time, are you going to hurt yourself? Are you thinking of hurting yourself? And mm-hmm. I would urge anyone who, who had take it seriously, take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I don't want you to be the one who goes home one day and, you know, finds your loved one is dead. Yeah. Laurie, thank you so much. One last question uh, on your TED talk. You you have some gifts on the table because mm-hmm. he died on your, was it your birth, birthday? It's my birthday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. You say I have not been able to open those boxes. Mm-hmm. Have you? Mm-mm. No, yet. they're they're sitting on my nightstand. No. And I will tell you, I probably won't ever open them because yeah. I um I'll never get another gift from him ever again. So if I keep them unopened, then there's yeah. that opportunity. So no. Thank you so much for this has been hard for you. I can tell. Sorry for that. That's yes, okay. It's going to help a lot of people. Right. And I know that's why you said yes for giving me the interview. So go take a breath, take a breath, go for your walk, look at the sun that you love so much, have some coffee or whatever else you need. I'll, I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Thank you so much. And you have a good day. Okay. Thank okay, you. you too. You've been listening to Understand Suicide, the podcast of journalist and therapist Paula Fontanelli. If you've been touched by suicide and believe your story might help others, please consider contacting Paula through her website, understandsuicide.com.